0: Hey, this is Pastor Ali, one of the lead pastors of Bold Church. I wanted to say thank you for joining us today. If you want to stay up to date on everything that's happening at Bold Church, want to live stream a service, or find out when our next gathering is, head over to bold.church. Enjoy the message. Good morning, good morning. Who's excited for church? If we have not met. My name is Ali. Before we begin, I just want to show you these cards because... Uh, every Wednesday for the last two weeks, we've been gathering at church at 6 a.m. to pray for our family and friends who don't know Jesus. And uh, some, of, some of you don't know the story, but I was voted least likely person to ever become a Christian in my family. Like I was, the, the fact that I'm staying on the stage is a miracle. And uh, what really, what the catalyst for me becoming a Christian was 20 years ago, my sister got together with her youth group and every Wednesday for an entire summer, they would just cry out to God for all their friends and family. I I was one of those 20 people uh, that they were praying for. And uh, there were people that, you know, prayed me into heaven. I didn't even know who they are. And I remember this last fall, God said, what someone did for you, now it's time for you to do it for the other person. And so as a church, we're just believing there are people in your life, family, friends, brothers, cousins, neighbors, coworkers, that they don't want anything to do with Jesus. But we just believe by faith that maybe they're, one prayer away from having an encounter with God. So what we're asking you to do is so simple. We're just asking you to pull out one of these cards and put the name of that person that you think so desperately needs Jesus. Because maybe with man it's impossible, but with God nothing's impossible. And by faith we just gather as a team and we're just laying hands on every card. And every week it's it's so cool to see the, the pile of cards getting bigger and bigger and the number of people praying more and more. And so I just want to encourage you to fill out a name, put prayer on it so we know who we're praying for or the name of the person. And I just believe maybe this Easter will be a miracle, not just in this church, but in your family. Amen. We are in a collection of talks called Life in Rhythm. And really, this is relational discipleship. And a lot of this collection of talks is really centered around John 14, where Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And we love that Jesus died for us. We love that He's the life, that salvation is found in Him, and we love everything He says because He's the truth. But often we forget that He's also the way. That His way of doing life, the way He walked, the way He did Sabbath, the way He did work, the way He did relationships and community, we got to emulate that. Because He didn't just die as our substitute. Listen, He lived as our example. Amen. And every week we've been talking about things we don't normally talk about. Work was week one. Community was week two. I heard there are a lot of people who were shaken by Sabbath last week. Today, I'm telling you, get your tissues. This is one of those emotional sermons. I, I'm going to be very transparent. I cried more writing this sermon than any other sermon I've ever written. Because it, it hits me so personally. I'm praying God wrecks you this morning. The title of this sermon is this, simply this, forgiveness. If you don't have this, you can't have friends. If you don't have this, you can't have a healthy marriage you can't even work with your coworkers. you can't have a relationship with your parents you need this so I'm going to pray and believe God's going to do something powerful this morning God we just love you we thank you Jesus but really the story of the scriptures and the story of Christianity God is not our love for you us bragging about us our love for you it's your love for us you pursued us you came after us you made a way when there was no way God, we're in this room because we're all forgiven. You're not just our God, you're our Father. We're so grateful, Lord. We walked in one way, Jesus, but we want to walk out another. If you believe that, Everybody said? Amen. Come on, everybody said? Amen. Amen. Uh, I want to tell you that some of you are going to have some difficulty with this because you don't have anything to be like unforgiveness in your heart. So let me offend you right off the bat, right? Because that's what we do. Our tribe... Yeah, we, I, I talk about things. I, I, I'm just going to show you on the screen. I talk about ladies sometimes in the sermons, and this is going to offend you. The ladies that bold every time Pastor Ali makes a joke about them applying makeup. The ladies. That's you. Go. And everybody else, can I just be honest? I was crying from laughter. After I, 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 I watch this once a week. You can turn it off. It's too much. It's too much. I, I can watch it all day. And some of you ladies, I, I, every time I make fun of the women in this church, they, at least one woman leaves. And I always tell them, like, you didn't, you didn't walk out. Your eyelashes are so long, you flew away. <laughs> but the point I'm trying to make is I'm your pastor. I'm just trying to make you laugh, make the, the scriptures fun. But here's the principle. The closer the relationship, the more, the more intimate the pain See, for example, if a a random person says, bro, your shoes are ugly, like, you're you're ugly, and you walk away. (laughs) But if your friends say that about you, it hurts. But if your spouse says that about you, dude, but one time I told my daughter, those are, uh, uh, that outfit is ugly. This five-year-old fell on the ground in a pool of tears. I, like, broke her heart, Right? I'm going to show you this. This is just my theory. There are levels of offenses. The first level is strangers. Some will say strangers. Often we we give too much access to people to offend us. Some of you are driving on the road, and someone's going 65 in a 65, and you're about to lose your mind in salvation. Anyone ever go to a theme park or an airline? And there's always those random people. They just cut in front of everyone, and you lose all self respect. Hey, someone called the cops! Right? I-, I had to learn this the hard way, not giving strangers access into my emotions. Uh, uh, there's this billboard that I want to show some of you. You didn't even know this is the kind of church you're part of. Saying, Oh God, in bed isn't going to church. Come to Center That used to be our name of our church, by the way, until we changed the bowl. Some of you are offended right now as I put that up. But let me read to you some of these emails that I got every day for the 28 days this was up. I'm a devoted Christian, and I have found your billboard advertisement in San Jose very offensive. The phrase, however, is funny. But coming from a Christian church is very unacceptable. I suggest you rethink the way of this advertisement. I am extremely disappointed. Email number two, I am a devoted Karen. I mean Christian. I was offended by your billboard. Although it is funny, it is inappropriate for a church to use to attract new members. Email number three. I saw your billboard last night and I was shocked beyond belief. Not sure who thought it was a good idea. But I assure you as a Christian, I am not only offended, I am disgusted. What an inappropriate billboard. It is not funny or cute. It's offensive and disgusting. Now this Lady sent me two emails. This is the first one at 9 a.m. I am sure I'm not the first to write you. I'm a very busy mother to eight, minister, author, foster care warrior, and I value my time. And it is rare that I will take my time out of my day to address something. But here I am, and it was a long email. I don't have time. Then at three o'clock, apparently she was still offended. (laughs) I have been ministering for years, traveled to hundreds of churches. I have. Seen some disheartening things, but this truly, truly, it takes the cake. Listen, for every one of these emails, I wanted to reach through my phone and, like, choke those people. And I remember telling my board, like, man, there was this one lady. I'm not going to even read her email. I rewrote my response ten times. I'm like, no, 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 no. I, like, Googled her, tried to find her social media profile, like, tried to dig everything I can. And my, my board was like, listen, relax. These are strangers. Think about it for a few days. Pray about it. In three days, I had totally forgotten what the words they had said. That's, that's what I want to tell you, that, that, that strangers often, we give them too much access, but they really can't hurt us the same way this next category can. These are friends and family. I think every person in this room, if they're humble and they're honest, there's a person in our life that we did life with in, in elementary school or in high school, and they betrayed us. They turned their back on us, or they, they gossiped about us, and often this is why sometimes we're weary to make new friends, because the old friends hurt us. You ever go to a wedding, and you're single, and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm going to have so much fun, and your friends and family are like, when are you going to get married? How come you're still single, and you're just like longing to go to a funeral, and be like, when's it your turn? I'm the only one? Oh, sorry. But there's just something about social media that just causes friends. You can post something, and an influencer can post it, and people are like, whatever. But the that fu- you posted it. Woo! The DMs start coming in, the unfollows start happening. There's just something. The closer you are in relationship, the greater the offense. So this is for our third category: the spouse. Most of my counseling happens in these next two categories. The deepest wounds are the, the biggest betrayals. I've seen couples walk with God, and that wound of unfaithfulness will f- be with them for 30 years. I mean, you, you show your spouse everything. The best of you, the worst of you. They see you naked, and they try not to laugh, right? They know everything about you. I'm going to preach on that in two weeks But really, there's another category. Don't show it yet. But this one, I would say 90% of my discipleship deals with this person or this category. And it's on the screen. It's your parents. You can move cities. You can leave this country. They can be dead. And they can still wound you from the things that they said. Many of you you don't realize this, but what what you feel on the scale is the words that your mom said to you. What you see when you look in the mirror is the identity your parents spoke over you. The people you date is largely a reflection of the values your parents gave you. No one can wound you like your parents there's a book I read recently. It was so good I read it twice called Intentional Fathering. It talks about that most of the, the young adult drugs, crimes, single father homes, a lot of the crimes that we have in our country are because of that. And there's this part in this book where he talked about this movie called The Work. And it's such a powerful, powerful part of this, this, this documentary where they go into prisons into these hardened criminals, these men who have murdered people with no remorse, stolen thousands, they have zero repentance. And then you get down alone with them and you ask them, what was the most painful thing you ever experienced? It wasn't a, another gang trying to kill them. It wasn't their girlfriend cheating on them. It wasn't that friend that stabbed their back. We have the video if we can just play it. I don't want to take away what my dad took away from me. Stay here. I don't want to feel that pain no more, babe. I don't want to, f- don't want to feel like I can't feel anymore. This man killed his sister's sister killer. We all got your back, One of the hardest criminals Green. in prison. Green. Bring it up. Bring it up. <laughs> Blake. The entire documentary covers <laughs> prisoner after prisoner, and all of them, all of them have father wounds. No one can hurt you like your parents. Now, before I give you the sermon I want to give I just felt I want to read this verse to you. Psalm 68. This is what God is declaring over us, that he is a father to the fatherless is a defender of widows. This is God. That's who God is. So whether your father was absent and you don't have a relationship with him, or he was present and he was abusive, he's a father to the fatherless. God is, places the lonely in family, and he sets the prisoners free and gives them joy. Because he's not just a God. He's your heavenly father. Which is why showing you this picture is going to be very challenging for me. This is my dad. This is when he came to America in 1968. He was one of three brothers, the youngest. When his father, he, his father passed away when he, had, I think he was like four weeks old. And then his mom passed away when he was I think three. And so he was raised by his older brother who was 10 years older than him and his aunt. Uh, I wish I would have known this growing up. It would have explained so much about his behavior. He, he never really hugged me as a kid growing up. Uh, he said, I love you once on the day of my college graduation. So it, it didn't even feel real. felt like I earned it. But I realized he could not give me what he didn't receive. And he's, he's no longer here, but his wounds are still there. Uh, my father was very physically and verbally abusive. By that, I mean, yeah, he, he didn't use a belt. He used his hands. And he wasn't just with me. He was also with my sisters and even sometimes my mom. And there was this one time I'll never forget. He lost his temper. He's throwing things at her. And I'm 10, and so I stood in the in between. I'm like, leave mom alone. Only it enraged him even more. He probably beat me that night worse than he ever had. And then the cops were at the school the next day. And Some of you have never experienced that. But, man, when you're in a broken home, you will lie because you're more afraid of your dad than you are of the cops. Because you know if he gets out one day, you know who he's coming after. Right? My relationship with my father changed when I was 18 because I started getting bigger than him. I was stronger than him. He, was, he had me when he was 41, so I'm 18. He's 58 now. I got tired of him hitting me. So I turned 18. I remember grabbing his hand. I said, enough. Stop. I didn't yell at him. I didn't spit on him. I didn't hit him. I just said, enough. It's like enraging a pit bull or like a bull. He got so angry that my mom literally had to like tackle him and like shove me out the door. Like run because he's coming after you. Our relationship was never the same after that. We didn't speak to one another for two years. What do you think that does to a young man? The guy you're supposed to love and get your identity from, who's supposed to point you to God, is the guy I hate more than anyone else in my life. And imagine I become a Christian a few years later at the age of 24, and God confronts me with this verse. And I'm praying and I'm believing the way it confronted me, it will confront you. This is Matthew 18, starting at verse 21. Then Peter came to Jesus and said, Lord, how many times do I have to fear my brother and sister who sins against me? you got to understand the culture. In that culture, the Pharisees, who were the religious people, said three times and you cut someone out of your life. Four, you're done with them. So watch what Peter says. He says, up to seven times, he's trying to be super spiritual. Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. That's language for infinity, by the way. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven. Someone say the kingdom of heaven. Every time Jesus says the kingdom of heaven, he's showing you a picture into what heaven is like. He's trying to bring that reality to earth. This is how your father in heaven behaves. This is how the kingdom is run. Earth isn't like this, but the kingdom is. So he's going to tell this story. you got to realize the person in the story is you. And some of the, someone in the story is God. And I'll tell you who it is in a second. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king. Hint, hint the king of kings, who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold. Some translations say 10,000 talents. Let me just break this down for you. One ounce of gold, a talent, is 75 pounds. So this is 75,000 pounds of gold. Let's put that in perspective. One ounce of gold is $2,100. 2,100. That means a pound is like 2.4 million dollars. A talent is that times 75. And then you multiply that by 10,000. This is close to $25 billion. Listen, the world at that point didn't even have a billion dollars. Jesus is telling the story that this person owed the king more money than is even possibly imaginable. In the same way, your sin is so large, it is unpayable. And it's much, much bigger than you realize. Since he was not able to pay the master ordered that he and his wife and his children, all they had be sold to repay the debt, which is unpayable, by the way. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay everything back. No, you can't. The servant's master took pity on him and canceled the debt and let him go. That's how he did it in that story. In earth, God sent his son, Jesus, to pay the unpayable debt. God, eternal, became flesh, fully God, fully man, and took upon the sins of the world upon himself to pay what you could never pay. And then it continues. But when the servant went out, this is me and you, by the way, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. Someone say a hundred coins. And that day, if you worked a day, a job, you'd get paid a coin a day. So this guy had this on $25 billion debt that was forgiven. And now he finds someone that owes him a third of his year's salary. It's, I'm not saying what people did to you is not big. It is big. But it's tiny in comparison to what you did against God. That's the principle. He grabbed him And began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servants fell to his knees and begged him, Be patient with me and I'll pay it back. But he refused. Instead he went off and threw the man into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told the master, God, everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in, the one who had been forgiven but couldn't forgive. You wicked servant. You are a Raiders fan. Sorry, that's just my translation. (laughs) Trying to lighten up the mood a little bit. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had on you? In anger. Now, this is a picture of heaven. The master handed him over to the jailers, the one who had been forgiven. Forgiveness was taken away. To be tortured. Until he could pay back all he owed, which is unpayable. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother and sister. I remember when I read that, God put his finger on my heart and said, forgive your father. And I said, he doesn't deserve it. And like lightning, God said, and you didn't either. Forgive him anyways. For so many years, i dealt with anxiety and depression. I just believe with all of my heart there, there are things that you are experiencing because you have not released forgiveness. If you don't believe me, look what Harvard Medical School says. Practicing forgiveness can have powerful health benefits. Forgiveness is associated with lower levels of depression, anxiety, hostility, hmm, reduced substance abuse. I often find men who are addicted to, to weed and porn, it's not that they're immoral. They're hungry for love and connection. And because they never got it from their father, they're just looking to feel alive. Higher self-esteem, greater life satisfaction. Yet, Harvard says, forgiving people is not always easy. Maybe with man it's impossible, but with God anything's possible. Amen? There are different levels of people that can offend us differently. But how often, Pastor Ali, am I supposed to forgive? Well, Jesus answered that question in Luke chapter 11. He teaches his disciples how to pray. Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us our day, our daily bread, and forgive us our sins. Literally, you are going to be offended every day, which means every day you need to forgive someone else. Uh, There's a pastor by the name of David Youngie Choi. He's the pastor. of. He passed away about five years ago. He was the pastor of the largest church in the world. They had a million members in South Korea. Miracle. And he, he didn't get saved, honestly, until he was in his late 20s, early 30s. He was dying of cancer. And this priest comes in and prays for him, and he gets this miracle. And he develops this amazing ministry. And he has this amazing quote. He says, every day... I forgive so many people because every day I hate so many people. It's good. If he needs to do it, bro, I need to do it too. And then Jesus shows us more insight into the the power of unforgiveness when he says in Luke 17, it is impossible, someone say impossible, that no offense should come. If you're breathing, you're going to be offended. And if you're a Lakers fan or a Raiders fan or a woman with a lot of makeup, you're going to get offended in this room. It is impossible. I wrote it like this. Being offended is inevitable, but living offended is a choice. And there's a part of this verse that I want to show you. It says, it is impossible that no offense, someone say offense. That word shows up 40 times in your Bible. Every time Jesus talks about forgiveness, he uses this word. And the other gospel writers, they use the same exact word. It's this Greek word on your screen called scandalon. Someone say scandalon. It's defined as this the bait that triggers a trap. See, Jesus, Satan, he wants to get you stuck. He doesn't care if it's porn or alcohol. Doesn't care if it's money or power, the hook doesn't matter. He's gonna put whatever he can. His greatest bait is always unforgiveness, and it says to trigger a trap. Hunters use trap for one reason: they want to catch an animal or they want to kill an animal. And if I can prophetically speak over you for a moment, that's exactly what the enemy wants to do. He wants you stuck where he wants to kill your faith, or both. So What I want to do for a moment is I want to show you some traps that we have in our culture. This first one on your screen is a mouse trap. Cute little mouse. He's about to die. Uh, When we first moved into our home, uh, we had rats. And my wife comes up to me. She says, we have two options, honey. We can burn the house down or sell it. I said, calm down, daughter of Eve. We're going to figure this out. look she just gave I'm in so much trouble. But listen, there were two rats that we caught. The tails were 12 inches long and the body was, it was an 18 inch rat. It was Splinter from the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Two of them. That's what traps do. They they lure you. And who knew rats love peanut butter? That's what our our exterminator used. Look at this next one. This is an, an ant trap. So there's two kinds. Either they get stuck inside and they die or they'll place a little bit of poison in the food and the ant will take it back to the colony and then all of the ants die. I can't hear what you're saying. There's another trap. Maybe some of you remember this called Chinese finger trap. Remember you put your finger in and you're like, oh, my God, I'm in trouble. You got to push it in and then get your fingers out. Some of you still have trauma from this. But it's a trap the trap. This next one is really what I want to spend most of our time in. Or oh, actually one more, one more, one more. One more. Yes. Wily Coyote. Anyone remember Wily Coyote? That's the trap I wanted to bring, but little did I know those kinds of traps with the teeth are illegal. Considered it, but didn't want to offend the cops, okay? But reality, that trap, the moment you place your foot on it, it closes on and breaks your ankle. Some of you, your ankle is in the trap of unforgiveness. But this trap is the one I I wanted to show you. This is what many of you... So God wants you to be free. And the enemy over here has has lured you. Someone said something mean, someone did something mean, whether it's a friend, a spouse, or maybe a parent. And you're holding on to that unforgiveness, thinking it's going to bring you joy. And you've walked into this trap, not realizing the moment you place your foot, you're stuck inside. See, the only person that's stuck in offense is you. You're the one in prison, not the person that offended you. And the question I want to ask all of you this morning is simply this. Why would Jesus, why is this, why is a trap the picture that Jesus uses to talk about unforgiveness? Unforgiveness. He wants you to see. This is what. This is where you are. You feel justified in not forgiving. You ever meet people who don't forgive? It always comes out in bitterness. You ever meet bitter people? They're awful. Cowboy fans, man, they haven't been in the Super Bowl in thirty years. We were watching this Netflix special about the Buffalo Bills. And the Buffalo Bills went to the Super Bowl four years in a row, 1990, 1991, 92, 93. And the Cowboys beat them twice. My wife's like, man, the Cowboys are good. When's the last time they went to the Super Bowl, babe? I was like, 1994. She's like, no. I was like, yeah, that's why they're so bitter. (laughs) You ever meet a, a woman who's been mistreated by a man? Maybe he lied to her. Maybe he was unfaithful to her. And if she doesn't forgive... You can hear it in her language. I'll never trust a man again. You ever have unforgiveness towards your spouse? And you'll sit in the car and rehearse that conversation again and again like a crazy person. Man, what you don't realize is when your foot's stuck, you, your body may be moving forward, but your soul's stuck back there. Or we're like this. When you have unforgiveness, your body moves forward, but your soul. Is stuck in the past. And what Jesus is trying to teach through this story in Matthew 18 is that forgiveness is not an option. It's a command. If you don't forgive, I will withhold forgiveness. Some people say, Pastor Al, you don't know what they did. But Jesus does. Three months into reading that story, because it took three months for me to muster up the courage to forgive my father. Began to have conversations. I was living in LA at the time, and I'd drive back and we would just, you know, play poker, hang out, watch TV. And this man, he never understood the wounds that he caused. But I, if I waited until he apologized, I would stay in unforgiveness. And as a family, he, I have two sisters and a, a mom. We. We were so deeply wounded by this man, but we knew he needed Jesus just as much as we did. And we began to pray. It was 18 years of praying until this picture on your screen. And so some of you look like, oh my gosh, that's so cool, an 81-year-old man. I see my abuser. You celebrate that he accepted Christ. Christ. And a part of me gets angry that he's being forgiven. And yeah, I shed tears on that day. But it was joy that in the same way he was getting what he didn't deserve, I got what I didn't deserve. See, Anne Lamont, she wrote This unforgiveness is like you drinking rat poison and then waiting for the rat to die. And there are some of you in this room, I just want to be very honest. The things that have been confessed to me, uncles sexually abusing you, spouses cheating on you, friends betraying you, I'm not minimizing the pain. But I am saying you can't move forward spiritually being stuck in unforgiveness. And there's a lot of funny things that Christians believe. I just want to walk through some of these things. Six things forgiveness is not. Number one, forgetting. I always hear this from like well meaning Christians like, oh, just forgive and forget. That ain't in the scriptures, bro. And they often point to this verse in Jeremiah 31 for I will forgive their sins, their wickedness, and remember their sins no more. See, if God doesn't remember, why should we? And they often say when we confess our, I'm still having trouble forgetting. We go, well, you haven't fully forgiven. It's like, no, 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 listen. That verse doesn't mean what you think it means. God doesn't stop being God. He's omniscient. He will always, he will always remember. He just chooses not to use them against you in relationship. That's the difference. It's actually cruel to say forget. Because some of the wounds that people have caused against you, you will. I still remember as a 10-year-old standing before my dad looking like Goliath at the time. You will never forget some of the things that were done to you. Number two it's waiting for an apology. Some of you say this to me in counseling, Pastor Allie, I will forgive as soon as they apologize. Let me just be very blunt and straightforward. Some people are so evil, so wicked, so blind to the goodness of God, they will never apologize. And you will have your foot stuck, and you will die. In unforgiveness, waiting for them to do it. You don't have to wait for them. Number three, ceasing to feel the pain. Sometimes I meet with people and they're afraid to tell me about the pain. Oh, Pastor, like, oh. I'm like, do you still feel pain? Yes. No, I'm good. No, it's okay. To, and they're almost afraid because they feel if they have pain, that means they have forgiven. That's not the case. You will still feel pain over what they did. Your emotions and your choosing to forgive are two separate things. In Revelation 21, the very last book of the Bible, the very last chapter, it says that Jesus, when he comes back to establish his kingdom, when we come to him, it says he's wiping away every tear. Because some of us were going to be crying our way to heaven. Because he paid the penalty of sin. He did not remove the effects of it. You will still feel pain. Number four, it's a one-time event. That is not the case. The best analogy I can use is that forgiveness is like waves. You'll be at a random spot, and it will just hit you. And in the beginning, it will feel like a very big and strong wave. And the longer you walk with Jesus, the smaller and smaller the wave gets. But the wave may never go away. There's was a pastor friend of mine who planted a church in Nashville, Tennessee. He told him about this couple that came to him. They joined his church when they were older. They'd been married four decades, and this woman confessed to him that in the first four or five years of their marriage, the husband was unfaithful. And here they were 35 years later, and every time he would speak to a girl, she would get uncomfortable, even if it was at church and it was totally appropriate. And like waves would hit her. And she have to choose in that moment to forgive. Because it's not, listen, a one-time event. Number five. Trusting. It is not you giving them access to your life. If Uncle Joe or Billy molest the kids, he's never babysitting again. You forgive him, but you never trust him again. And here's the thing that needs to be broken. Forgiveness and trust are not the same thing. It's written like this. Trust should be slowly gained and quickly lost. But forgiveness is not an option. That's the difference. I'm going to teach you about this in three weeks or four weeks. Boundaries. There are some people in your life, they don't have access anymore. Oh, you're good. You're just not good for me. Number six, reconciliation. See, it takes one person to apologize and one person to forgive, but it takes two to have reconciliation. And you can do your part, but they may never do their part. So you may stick out your hand and say, I forgive you like I did with my father, and he never, what did I do wrong? I was like, no, you don't remember anything you did? And he genuinely didn't. And I can get angry or I can keep boundaries. And that's what I want to teach some of you is that forgiveness and reconciliation are not the same thing. That's why in Romans 12, verse 18, it says this. If it is possible, someone say possible. Because sometimes it's impossible. You could do everything right. You can forgive. But that person will never change. You never trust them again. You don't do relationship with them the same way again. Because they don't want to acknowledge the things that they've done. If it is possible, God says, sometimes it's not. As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everybody. Live at peace with everybody. Some of you just hearing this, man, what do you mean? that? So I forgive people, but then create boundaries? Yeah, we're going to talk about that in two weeks. George Burns, who's my mom's favorite comedian, he says, this happiness is having a loving, caring, close-knit family that lives in another city. Sometimes in another home. But just hearing that forgiveness, some of you have a really high sense of justice. You're like, Pastor Allie, this doesn't feel fair. You just want me to forgive? Where's the justice in that? And you're right. It doesn't feel fair. But that feeling takes us to the heart of Christianity the holy of holies of the Bible, Calvary, where God gave you and me what we didn't deserve when it wasn't fair for Him. Who knew no sin to become sin, so that you and I could become the righteousness of God? You want justice? You can't have it without the cross. Let me teach you this very quickly. When you are a believer and someone sins against you and you want justice, you'll get it. Why, Pastor Alley? Because if that person's a Christian, everything that you want to do to hurt that person, God stood in the gap and said, Do I took it on. I died in their place. But Pastor Allie, what if they're not a Christian? God will punish them with what he didn't take upon himself. And they will get punished. There will always be justice. The question is, do you want to be the judge or will you let God be the judge? Which is why Romans 12, 19 says this. Do not take revenge. Because you can't hold the cross and a grudge at the same time. Only one. He says, don't take revenge, because often in unforgiveness, it's like a debt. That person hurt me, so their account is negative 1,000. So we want to hurt them at the equivalent of negative 1,000. Jesus is saying, don't do it. My dear friends, leave room. Someone say, leave room for God's wrath. This last part of the verse, it's actually a promise. It is mine to avenge. I will repay. Promise you no one's grandma has that on a mug right now. The creative team at bold will never put that on a t-shirt. It is mine to avenge, I will repay. But God's promising you, I'll get back what they did to you. And God's a just God. Listen, He will never punish the same sin twice. So if you take revenge on that person, God won't do it a second time. And what God is really saying by leave room, someone say leave room. He's saying, I'm a better judge of justice than you are. Anyone in here humble enough to admit they watch WWF? Two of you, awesome. Love it. Those are my people right there. This is the best tag team of all time. Anyone know who these guys are? Legion of Boom, come on. I wanted to be these guys as a kid. They were the coolest wrestling team. They had the best outfits. They were champions. And for those of you that went to public school and don't know what wrestling is, let me inform you. It's totally real. And there's one person in the ring, and if he's getting, like, his butt kicked and just getting, like, annihilated, he can do one of two things. Either try to win or he could do what? Tap. That's literally what God is saying. Leave room you're stuck in unforgiveness, trying to fight that battle, tap me in. Let me do it. You don't need to do justice. Let me come in. Which is why forgiveness, I wrote like this, is first a decision and second a feeling because you'll never feel your way into forgiveness. There's a book probably one of the most powerful books ever written, called The Hiding Place by Corrie Ten Boom. She was a survivor of the Holocaust, but she actually wasn't a Jew. Her family was from Holland, and because they opposed Nazi Germany, they housed Jews in their home. But a a close friend ratted them out. So this family, who was non-Jew, they all got thrown in a concentration camp. Her sister died, father died, and in 1947, her and her mom come out just barely starving. And she recounts that in 1947, she actually went back to Germany to preach forgiveness to the Germans. And this is her account. It was at a church in Munich that I saw him, a balding, heavyset man in a gray overcoat. A, brand, a brown felt hat clutched between his hands. People were filing out of the basement where I'd just spoken, moving along the wooden chairs to the door at the rear. It was 1947, and I'd come from Holland to defeat Germany with a message that God forgives. It was the truth that they most needed to hear in that bitter, bombed-out land. And I gave them my favorite mental picture, that when we confess our sins to God, God will cast them into the deepest ocean, gone forever. And then he puts up a sign that says, no fishing allowed. That's when I saw him working his way towards me against the others as they were leaving. At that moment, I saw an overcoat and a brown hat. The next, I saw a blue Nazi uniform and a visor cap with his skull and his crossbones. It came back with a rush the huge room with its harsh overhead lights and pathetic pile of dresses and shoes at the center of the floor, the shame of walking naked past this leering man. I could see my sister's frail form ahead of me, ribs sharp beneath the parchment skin. Betsy, how thin you were. The place was Ravensbrook, and the man who was making his way forward in the basement of that church had been my guard. One of the most cruel guards. And now he was in front of me with his hand thrust out. A fine message, Fraulein, how good it is to know that, as you say, our sins are cast to the bottom of the sea. And I, who had spoken so glibly of forgiveness, fumbled in my pocketbook rather than take the hand. He would not remember me, of course. How could he remember me? One prisoner among the thousands of women executed but I remembered him. And a leather crop swinging from his belt, I was face to face with the one of my captors, and my blood froze. You mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk. I was a guard there. But since that time, I have become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me things that I did there, but I would like to hear it from you, from your lips. Again, the hand came out. Will you forgive me? I stood there. I, whose sins had been again and again forgiven, and I could not forgive. Betsy, my sister, had died in that place. Could he erase her terrible, slow death simply for asking It could not have been a mere second he stood there with his hand held out, but it seemed like hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I'd ever done. Forgiving is the hardest thing you'll ever do. I knew it not only as a command of God that I forgive, but also as a daily experience. Since the end of the war, I had a home in Holland for victims of Nazi brutality. Those, listen to this, who were able to forgive their former enemies, were able to return to the outside world and were able to rebuild their lives no matter what physical ailment they had. But those who nursed their bitterness remained invalids. It was as simple and as horrible as that. I stood there with the coldness clenching my heart, but forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that forgiveness is an act of the will and it can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Jesus... Help me, I prayed. Can I lift my hand? I can do that much, but you must supply the feeling. I stretched out my hand to the one who stretched it out to me, and as I did, an incredible thing took place. A current started in my shoulder and raced down my arm. It sprang into our joint hands, and then the healing warmth of God seemed to flood my whole body, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother. I cried with all of my heart, I forgive you. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. But even so, it was not my love. I had tried, and I did not have the power, it was the power of the Holy Spirit. I don't want this to be a TED talk. I get everyone to stand and close your eyes. We're going to do something. I have no doubt in my heart and my mind that there is someone who has deeply wounded you, maybe multiple people. And with clenched fists, I want you to begin telling God what they did and how it made you feel. I want you to open your hands and release that person to God and pray this prayer with me. God, I release that person from their debt to me. I'm trusting that you will get the justice that's deserved. Thank you, God, for forgiving me so much that I'm being asked to forgive this person. God, give me the feelings I don't have as I release my bitterness from my hands with love for that person. Please, God, change my heart in the name of your crucified son who died for my sins and every sin ever committed against me. With every eye closed and every head bowed. This is a holy moment for some of you. God's in the room and you don't have a relationship with God. So before we Continue and say, forgive them. I need you to receive that forgiveness from God. You and I have committed sin, which is the missing of the mark against a holy and living God. And the crime is so large, it's so unpayable, no good works that you ever do will pay it back. And the only way to heaven is that God had to come and die in your place. And I want to offer that salvation, that free gift, of Jesus to anyone in this room who wants to receive it. All you have to do is place your faith in Jesus with every eye closed and with every head bowed. If you want the forgiveness of sin, you want your 10,000 talents of gold to be paid off, I wanna count to three, I want you to just shoot your hand up. I want you to pray a prayer with me on the count of three. One, two, three. I see your hand, I see your hand, I see your hand. Amen. I see your hand. I see your hand. Hands all over this room. Just pray this prayer out loud with me. Thank you, Jesus, that you left heaven for me to pay a penalty that I could never pay. Thank you for your sacrifice. I turn from my sin, Lord. I repent. And I choose to follow you. Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thank you again for listening to today's message. If you found today's sermon encouraging, inspiring, would you consider subscribing to this podcast? That way you won't miss the next word that's coming. See you next time.